Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Welcome. Welcome to church. Uh, welcome to those who are, are, are joining us online. Uh, it's good to have you here. My name is Bryson, and I'm one of the pastors, and I'm excited to start a new series today, uh, and we're going to get into that in a moment. But before we do, uh, before we get into uh, the Word of God, I want to show you a picture drawn in 1893 of a duck looking to the left. This is a duck looking to the left. Duck looking to the left. And many of you have probably seen this before. I didn't invent this, I didn't draw this, uh, so it's not some new discovery. You might have seen it in, in school at some point, uh, and if you have, then you're aware that when you look at it, this duck to the left, that it also is a rabbit facing to the right. Maybe some of you haven't seen that before. I should have pretended like I found it. I was drawing this week. <laughs> No, but uh, so you see there's a duck facing to the left and there's a rabbit facing to the right. And, and maybe some of you are having a hard time uh, seeing it still. We have another picture of two of them. Uh, maybe you're looking at two ducks looking to the left or two rabbits looking to the right. If you can't see both of them, close your eyes for a second and imagine a duck eating a rabbit and then open them again. You see it now? There's a duck on the, you know, there's the duck rabbit. You get the point. I don't need to keep on going with that. Uh, but when you look at that picture, oftentimes you see what you're looking for. As we take that down, it's just the, the same thing, I think, a lot of times when we look at scripture. We find what we're looking for. That as we dive into scripture at times, we can uh, look for, for the thing that's going to resonate with us, inspire us, and it's typically there somewhere. But we can come in with our blinders on looking for a duck when there's a rabbit there the whole time. And we come in with our version of the story that's some combination of, of a felt board in Sunday school, a sermon that we heard one time, our own personal study, some, some version of the story that excludes the rabbit that might be hiding in the details the entire time. Because oftentimes, uh, when we look for the duck, we miss the rabbit. And as we look at scripture, uh, when we get fixated on what we expect to happen, then we miss out on the bigger picture. Would you open your Bible to John 13? We're going to be in verse uh, 21 through 30. John 13, 21 through 30. You can open your Bible, open your Bible app, open, if you have the whole Bible memorized, you can do that too, I guess. However you are engaging in the Bible, it'll also be in the screens in just a moment. It says this, after he had said this, this is Jesus, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to which one of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter mentioned to this disciple, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. 
Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to go give something to the poor. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. If you're like me, you read a story like that and we find ourselves somewhere between Jesus and John, the disciple that, that Jesus loved, that we're in this conversation as he's identifying to John and the listener or the reader uh, who is going to betray uh, John, you know, Judas uh, is going to be betraying Jesus here in just a moment. And so we find ourselves in this huddle and we're getting the lowdown. And so we're in this conversation of great intimacy. Um, but I think that like when we do that, uh, we find ourselves um, doing what is the temptation, looking at this and asking, how can we be more like John? We look at the, the hero of the story reclining against Jesus and we say, you know, obviously there's this other guy who's kind of doing his own thing, but John, let's find out, let's look, let's do a huge exegesis of the Bible, how, you know, 20 steps or less to become like John and I wish that I could preach that to you today. I, I wish that, that we could just talk about how to be more like the hero of the story, but I'm afraid that we'd be looking for the duck and ignoring the rabbit. Because this series that we're starting today is not called Heroes, it's called Villains. We're going to be preaching through the villains of the Bible in the next four weeks, and I'm excited for it. We have this, uh, these comic demonstrations of uh, an artistic interpretation of, of who these villains might be in, in modern day. And here front and center, we have the disciple John in his later years, and then we have Judas uh, here preparing to betray the Savior. You have uh, all these people, and we could, you could extrapolate from the same text, you could say, here's how we could be more like John, but I fear that at times we're just a few decisions away from going from our head on his chest to our knife in his back. Would you pray with me? Jesus, help us. Lord, we need you. God, help us uh, to explore your word and, and, and find truths that, that transform us. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So Judas is one of the most hated villains in the entire scripture. You have the Old Testament, which is pre-Jesus. Then the New Testament starts with Jesus and goes beyond. And right smack dab in the middle, in the Gospels, in the Jesus story, is this character named Judas. He's one of the most hated villains, but also one of the most important characters in all of scripture. Because you have to realize, without Jesus being betrayed, he wouldn't go to the cross. And if he didn't go to the cross, he couldn't be resurrected. And if he wasn't resurrected, Paul says that our entire faith is futile. Our entire faith doesn't matter. And so as you go back, you have to realize we hate Judas, but at the same time, he's an important part of our salvation story. If you identify as a Christian, then, uh, then he's, he's a part of it. So how do we reconcile hating Judas 
Well, at the same time, he plays a crucial role in our lives. So it says this in Acts 1, 16. Peter, talking to the disciples, said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. So at some point, we need to reconcile that Judas was a part of God's plan for our redemption. Further than that, I think we love a good villain. Like, I think when we watch a movie, uh, you know, sometimes the, the, the hero is only as lovable as the villain is hateable, right? We, we uh, hate the villain, we love the hero, uh, because I, I think at the end of the day, though, in the, the biblical sense, and when we look at scripture, we love the villain, because sure, we might not be perfect, and we might not get everything right, but certainly we're not as bad as them. Like, have you ever noticed when you read the Gospels, myself included, uh, like when we read it and Jesus is like rebuking the Pharisees, we're on team Jesus. Like we're standing by Jesus saying, yeah, guys. Or, uh, you know, when Jesus is correcting the people who are getting ready to stone the woman caught in adultery, like we're standing by Jesus. We're like, come on. Yeah. Why would you ever do that? Or if you're reading Galatians, we are the Galatians receiving the word that we are justified by Jesus' work and not ours. But then you turn to Galatians 3 and he's like, you foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? And we're like, yeah, Galatians, come on. I'm not a Galatian anymore. I was a chapter ago, but not anymore. That's not how this works. But we do. Does anybody else do that? It's, it's like I'll find the parts that I like and then the parts that are, you know, kind of more uh, not so fun. That's for somebody else. That's, you know, the context is just not exactly talking about my specific situation. And that's the thing. But we, we do that. And we do that a lot. But perhaps we're more like these characters than we'd like to admit Perhaps at times we can be the religious Pharisees that need a correction. Perhaps at times we can be the Galatians that started something in the spirit and are trying to continue it in the flesh. Perhaps at times we're not the person correcting and we're not the person being accused, but we're the person with the rock in our hand. Perhaps at times... When we look a little bit wider, we realize that we're not always the hero. As a matter of fact, at times, we find ourselves in a very different role. Uh, when we look at Judas's big moment, the betrayal of Jesus, right? Uh, I think sometimes we're tempted to see it as an isolated event, uh, that this is, man, out of nowhere, nobody suspected Judas, and all of a sudden he's out making deals with, you know, with Pharisees and people like that. But I think if we just expand a little bit, we have this character who made a few bad decisions that somehow took him from someone who sold everything or left everything to follow Jesus. Like, following Jesus wasn't a part-time gig. Like, if you're a disciple, one of these 12 specifically, then, then that's, that's what you're doing. So at some point, he left everything. At some point, in Matthew 10, he was anointed with the rest of the disciples to have authority over unclean spirits, to heal the sick. Judas was in that squad. But something got him from there to this scene that we pick up in the Gospel of John as he's betraying Jesus. And I think that there are three truths that Judas might have missed in his time with Jesus. Three truths that Jesus might, or Judas might have missed 
in his time with Jesus. Truth number one, Jesus is God. Truth number one, Jesus is God. Most scholars would agree that even though Judas was chosen to be a primary disciple, he never uh, acknowledged or he never believed fully that Jesus was divine. And we can see uh, also in, uh, sorry, um, in scripture that he never calls him Lord like the other disciples do. The other disciples call him Lord, Master. Judas is only documented as calling him Rabbi. Now, we would be a little bit, uh, you know, foolish to think that everything uh, that happened is recorded in the Gospels. Obviously, it's all day, every day, so we can't just decide that he never called him Lord, but based on the evidence, and we can draw a, a larger biblical truth that everybody else was seeing Jesus as Lord and as God, saying, you know, Jesus, what you say is actually true. Judas, on the other hand, is seeing him as rabbi or teacher, and I know we can never do that, right? But at times, don't we sometimes deduce Jesus to just a guy with good advice? We say, yeah, Jesus, that sounds, that sounds really good. We should do that. We should, right on. Let's, let's put that on the idealist, okay? When it, when, it, when it comes around, you're the guy, Jesus. Like, sometimes, though, but think about how you treat people in your life with good advice. It's, you know, it's good, but optional, And so Judas is with the 12 disciples. Meanwhile, and it says in, in uh, John six sixty four. yet there are some of you, Jesus speaking, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who was to betray him. Judas is there, but still has something else in his heart um, because at the end of the day, if Jesus isn't God, why should I follow him? And maybe a little closer to home, if, if Jesus isn't God, then I mean, what power does he have to do anything if I don't? I mean, what could the consequence be for me to not follow him if he isn't God, if he doesn't see me when he doesn't see me, if he doesn't see me and see my heart, if he's not God, then what could possibly happen if I decide to do my own thing? And we go, man, I would never do that. That's, that's crazy, man. I'm so glad I'm looking at this villain to see all the stuff I never do. Um, but if you ever come on a Wednesday night, if you heard me preach, um, you probably know I love Survivor. I love Survivor. I, my, my least favorite thing about Wednesday night service is that it's on Wednesday night because that's when Survivor airs. So I have to spend all day Thursday not hearing who got voted out so I can watch it. Um, but just sacrifices we make for Jesus. That's terrible. I just said it's a sacrifice for Jesus. <laughs> cut that out of the podcast. Whenever, you know, whatever this goes on YouTube, just cut that out. Uh, but I, I love Survivor. And it, it's all about who you're going to vote off the island, the alliances you make, who, you know, who you're going to backstab. But then there's also, so they, they document every minute of every day. They watch you, what are you doing? And then there's also times uh, where they have kind of a confessional moment where you're just talking to the camera solo about your strategy and what you're doing. But the thing is, those two things don't always line up. That there's the game that they say they're playing, 
And then the editors just love to throw in that what's actually happening in real life is not always congruent with what they're saying. And sometimes when we say, man, I would never treat Jesus like God or like he wasn't God, if somebody had a camera on you for the last week and watched every minute of every day, what would that say? What would that say if somebody was just looking from the outside and every now and again asking how the interior is doing? Because I think if we really saw Jesus as God, it doesn't just change our our behavior. Sure, of course. Of course we're going to do things differently, but I, I think that it changes the way we pray. If Jesus isn't just a guy with good advice, he's, he's the, uh, the, the all-knowing, all-powerful Lord of the universe, that changes things. I think it changes how we see the world. I think it changes how we live. Eh? But you go, like, uh, you look at Judas, and you go, how could he possibly not believe that Jesus is God? This is Judas. Judas passed out bread when feeding the 5,000 as it multiplied in his hands. Judas was with the disciples as Jesus walked on water. When he calmed the storm, saving his own life, Judas was an eyewitness to Lazarus raising from the dead. And I think it shows us that it's possible to be around Jesus and still have a Judas on the inside. Let's get to the next point. That was, we're gonna start getting too convicted too early in the sermon. You gotta wait, you gotta wait. So we'll just leave that right there. Truth number two, Jesus' plan is best. Truth number one is that Jesus is God. Truth number two, Jesus' plan is best. Have you ever been driving in your car and having a GPS, but it's an area you sort of know already? Maybe you have a GPS uh, going towards your home and you're familiar with the area. And Google is telling you to take route A, right? It's saying here's the, the fastest, best way, but you say, but I know a back road. Anybody? You, you, you go, no, uh, but Google, <laughs> you didn't think about it that way. I'm, I'm taking that way. Um, well, here's just some news for you. Uh, Google knows it too. And Google said, you should take route A. Like, you are not smarter than your GPS. But somehow along the lines, um, Jesus gives a clear uh, guideline for how we should live our lives. We say, but I know a back road. John Ortberg says that sin is often the attempt to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. It's finding some false satisfaction for a need that we have that's cheaper and faster than doing it the way Jesus says. And so we say, I'm okay, you know, sacrificing here or there something that I once committed to because it's really going to get me what I want and and faster. And so you have Judas. uh, We pick up in uh, John 12, 24, just after the sermon that Pastor James preached last week about the the woman who uh, was uh, anointing and washing Jesus' feet with her tears. Um, And it says this, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who is later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. So realizing 
that Jesus' plan is the best means that we don't need to find our alternate route to having a great life. Some, some way along the lines, Judas decided that, sure, this Jesus thing is great, but, I mean, we, have, we got enough to go around. Like, that could just, is it such a sin to nice like things? You like nice things? Like, I want nice things, so sue me. Like, Jesus, Judas is kind of dipping, uh, you know, his hand in, in the pot. And, like, we go, well, we're not stealing from Jesus, but I think we might do some other stuff. I think we might find some shortcuts to, you know, when the GPS is saying one way, sometimes we know some back roads and we say, sure, I know I, I Jesus says I probably shouldn't watch this, but ah, it's been a long day and I've really been wanting to see that movie. You know, I really, sure, there might be a scene or two, but I'm, I'm just going to go for it. Or we say, sir, I know, I'm, you know, I probably shouldn't be uh, having this conversation with this person that's not my spouse, but they really make me feel good about myself. And so it's, I guess, not that big of a deal, right? It's just a conversation. And you're like, you know, it's really probably not what's best. That's like the GPS is saying this way, you know, in that case. But you're like, I know a back road. Jesus, I, I, I know a back road. And we find ourselves all of the sudden backroading our way into what we think would be a great life. But realize this. When we talk about the life that Jesus has for you, you have the creator of the human experience from beginning to end who masterfully put together the best way a life could possibly live. It says Jesus came to give us life and life to the full, the fullest experience of what it means to be human. He's not just winging it. He's not saying, hey, this would be cool if you just, you know, followed some of these ideas, these principles, kind of a good, no, 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 it's, it's actually the God, the master, the designer of the human experience saying this is the best way to do this. When we're following Jesus as Lord, when we're saying I'm going to actually make my decisions in line with what you say to do, it's not because God's controlling or because he wants you to have, you know, a boring life, a sad life. He's saying, no, I want you to have an amazing life and this is how you can do it. This is it. But Judas made a few decisions along the way that he actually had a better idea of how it should go. And I think a lot of times we'd rather protect our sin and betray our Savior. I think a lot of times what you protect shows what's most important to you and we protect our sins often because we think it's justified, we think we earned it, or we think we're the exception. Truth number three, Jesus isn't whoever I want him to be. So truth number one, Jesus is God. Truth number two, Jesus' plan is best. And truth number three, Jesus isn't whoever I want him to be. When I was little, I remember praying for a pet elephant. I was kind of new to the game, uh, you know, learned about prayer in, in Sunday school, and so I said, let's give it a shot, you know, want a pet elephant, let's see what you got, Lord. Um, so I, you know, I prayed, uh, it was at night, uh, just by myself, I said, God, give me a pet elephant, I just really want it, I love elephants, you know, uh, let me wake up in the morning, like, like it's Christmas, pet elephant with a bow, the whole thing. Now, of course, it's silly, but I am so glad that God didn't answer the prayer that I prayed. 
have you ever had something like that? You go, God, I really want this. And a few months later, you are like, God, thank you so much for not giving me what I wanted. You go, God, I really, really want this job. Lord, I'm standing on your word. This job is mine. And then just a, just a few months later, the company goes out of business. And you think, thank you, God, for sparing me from my prayer. There was, at one time, we were looking to buy a house and, and you know, we felt like to some level, we're like, God, I think this is the house, you know, uh, for us. And then something fell through. It didn't work out. It's like, ah, oh, man. And then just a, a few months later, we drove past it and the basement had flooded. They had everything out in their driveway. And we said, thank you, Lord, for not answering our prayer. You, have you ever prayed, you know, you're dating someone, you're like, God, thank you. This is my spouse, Lord. Thank you. I just pray this is my spouse. And then you have a few months after the relationship and you're heartbroken and you go, oh my gosh, thank you, Lord, you didn't answer my prayer. Have you ever been there? How does that align with Judas, though? Judas, like most, understood the Messiah to mean a political Messiah, someone who is going to come and, and liberate the Jews, liberate the Israelites from Roman oppression, to come put them back on top of the political structure, uh, that this guy named Jesus, or this Messiah, was here to actually put us back on top. But at this point in the story, Jesus has already made it clear that his mission is to die. And it's here where this picture of the real Jesus starts to collide with who Judas wants him to be. Part of identifying as a Christian, following Jesus, is coming to the resolution that Jesus is not here to support your American dream. That Jesus' chief priority is not for you to have what you want. Because a lot of times we pray for an elephant. But Jesus, when Judas is, is asking for, is wanting a Jesus to be this, this mighty hero, a new king coming into Jerusalem to start flipping some tables. I think when Jesus flipped tables, Judas is like, I knew it. I knew it was coming. But it's not that, that Jesus was coming to overthrow political power, uh, that Jesus is actually coming. When Judas wanted that, Jesus says, I know it's what you want, but it's not what you need. And we come to Jesus with this predetermined idea of who he should be and hold him to that. And it's not just that he's not that, he's better. Jesus is better than who you think you need. Jesus is better than the savior that you've created in your mind. Jesus is actually coming not to just readjust it, but to supersede, to, to, to overcome your expectations. Uh, like, it, it's not just like, he's better. He's better. Jesus isn't just provider when you need provision. He's the one who has provided everything you've ever had. Like, Jesus isn't just the healer when you need healing. He's the one who sustains your health, always. Jesus isn't just the Jesus we create when we want him to come through on a bad day. He's not our good luck charm. He's not, you know, just our, our, the guy in the, the corner of the boxing ring saying, you got this, you got this champ. No, he's not just the, 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 the hook, you know, the, the person who's here to support. Jesus is, he's God. His way is best. And he's not who we think we, we need. He's who we actually need. He's better. So sure, we can all 
lands, you know, in, in some of those categories every now and again, maybe some more often than others or, or, or whatnot, but like I might do some of those things, but surely that's different from me betraying Christ. Like we can't actually say, Bryson, Bryson, we can't actually say that that's gonna be equal. Like I'm not buying it. And, and I, I don't even know if it is or if it isn't, but I, I think it's fair to say that those series of misbeliefs set Judas in a heart posture where it didn't take much. And yeah, we might not have a lot of times where we betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. I think instead we betray him one coin at a time. I think instead we decide to make a little leniency here and a little leniency there that it's just, you know, one small thing here and one small thing there until all of a sudden 30 pieces of silver is nothing compared to the bank account that we've already accumulated one coin at a time. So, it leaves us with the question then, what does Jesus do with the villain? John 6 tells us that Jesus knew who would betray him, and as Jesus comes to the end of his ministry, you would think that this is his chance to finally out him, humiliate him, get the disciples mad at him. This is a time to finally say, I knew it was you all along, called it, you know, do what you're going to do, but it doesn't actually play out that way, because you would think that he would meet him with a noose and a gavel. But instead, he meets him with a basin and a towel. That you see just a a paragraph earlier. That to set up this meal, Jesus actually, he says he stands up, he grabs the towel and the basin, fills it with water, and he goes through and he washes the disciples' feet. And somewhere in the bunch, was this guy named Judas. He, he goes down, he, he washes the first pair of feet, and the second pair of feet, the third pair of feet. And somewhere in this mix, he, he sits there knowing he was going to betray him. And he washed his feet anyway. Think about it this way. Judas walked to get the guards on the same feet that were still clean from the Savior washing them. Judas exited the company of the people after receiving this act of mercy and walked away. And, and as I uh, kind of prepared for this sermon, that was, that was the duck that I was looking for. I said, this is, this is exactly it. Oh my gosh, God, thank you that you still you know, washed his feet. But then it went deeper. But that's just the beginning, that uh, when we really realize and see what he did, he didn't just wash his feet. Jesus served Judas' communion. Jesus looked him in the eye, said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood of the new covenant spilled for you. He served him communion. We see that in addition, although John knew what was happening and that he was identifying Judas, the rabbi dipping the bread and giving it to someone was a a position of honor. 
It's a thing of honor that Jesus, instead of humiliating Judas, he chooses to publicly honor him. And this is what really got me, is understanding exactly what uh, this Last Supper looked like. Um, you know, we have the, the picture that uh, da Vinci, you know, uh, drew or painted of the kind of middle-aged white men sitting around the table, and then we call that the Last Supper. Sorry, it didn't exactly look like that. It didn't happen in Europe. Um, you know, archaeology just figured it out. Didn't happen in Europe. Crazy. Uh, but it, it would have probably looked a little bit more like this. Um, here's a, a picture of maybe a more accurate Accurate, um, you know, Mediterranean meal and Roman customs kind of merged together. But how it would work, because uh, we would read a scripture, you know, like this, and John is reclining on Jesus, um, and we say, well, that's interesting. You, you got to be, you got to be pretty close to recline. I'm just saying, physical touch is not my number one love language. If we are at a dinner, do not recline on me. Do not, don't. Just, I love you, you love me, we're a happy family, but please don't recline on me. Um, just don't. We think that that's like a, a, a just, a, again, an isolated event, that they're just, you know, having dinner and he's just, you know, resting on Jesus. But, but this is actually how they would have been sitting, most likely. And so you sat, uh, you know, on, on cushions and you had your left arm on the table and you would eat your, your food, which had already been pre-sliced because it's hard to, you know, to cut. So you have your left elbow on the table and you're eating like this. And it really, uh, the, the host would set it up in a way because uh, there was a, a system of hierarchy and honor in this setting. So the person uh, who you were leaning against was of a higher honor than you are. And so we see in this context that, that John is leaning on Jesus. And in order for Jesus to be able to dip the bread and give it to Judas, means that Jesus would be leaning on Judas. And what gets me is that the love that John was showing Jesus, Jesus was showing Judas. The same way that John was loving Jesus, Jesus was loving Judas. And let's not get stuck looking for the duck when there's a rabbit in the text all along because we start looking at this display of love, how Jesus loves the villain. And, and we say that we're watching Jesus wash Judas's feet. We're watching Jesus serve communion. But I think the rabbit is here that we're not just watching Jesus wash Judas's feet. Jesus is washing our feet. That we're not just watching Jesus serve Judas communion, Jesus still offers us communion. His broken body and his spilled blood. That Jesus doesn't just offer Judas a seat at the table of honor. Knowing what he had done and what he was going to do. Knowing what you have done and are going to do, he still invites you not just to the table, but to a seat of honor. I think sometimes, whatever level, you know, uh, uh, 
entry point you are into faith, whatever season of life you are, maybe you've done a, a bunch of amazing things, your mother Teresa, or maybe you're just, you know, figuring it out. I think at times we can feel like, you know, we're, we're like Indiana Jones, you know, and the, the thing is closing and we're like just trying to slip into heaven. It's like, I'm not saying I'm going to get a mansion, but I'm just, you know, maybe it's a shack, but it's better than hell, right? You know, so, so it's like, I'm just doing my best. I'm figuring it out. And, and so we get where we feel like, because we know in comparison to Jesus's goodness and his perfection that we're so far from it, we feel like maybe we'll get a, a seat at the table, like maybe like a, a TV tray in the other room, like we'll be in the same house, but he couldn't possibly want me at the same table. And Jesus doesn't just invite him to the same table, where he just sits at the end and says, I know what you're going to do tonight, just I want to spend tonight with my friends, that, that'd be me, I want to spend tonight with my friends, my last night of freedom. But I think he... He clears this side of the, of the cushion and, and says, Judas, I, I have an area for you right here. He publicly honors him. And Jesus doesn't just love the villain at the table, he loves the villain in us. The pieces of Judas that we identify with along the road and as we look at some of the, the misbeliefs that Judas has and how we can identify at times with those things, how Jesus responds to Judas is how he responds to us and even down to the last moment, the last interaction that they have, Judas comes with the guards. And as he's betraying Jesus, you know what Jesus calls him? calls him friend. He doesn't spit on him. He doesn't embarrass him. He doesn't, you know, speak a, a curse over him or, or say something bad. He says, do what you came for, friend. In the midst of our bad decisions, no matter what we've done or are going to do, he still calls us friend. Shows that Jesus' love is big enough to overpower anything we have done, will do, or are doing currently. Any shortcoming we have, any wrong that we've done, Jesus' yes is so much better than our no. That Jesus' acceptance of us goes beyond our pre qualifications. And when we realize, how crazy in love with us that God is, it changes everything. It changes absolutely everything. It changes how we see the world. It changes how we see our family. It changes how we see our workplace, our community. And I believe that if we actually uh, lived these three things out, that Jesus actually is God, that Jesus' plan is actually what's best for us, and Jesus is better than anything that we could come up with on our own, that's the kind of thing that transforms a family, that transforms a faith community like Bethel, a city like Nashville, and ultimately our globe. That if we really lived that way, we would see something so much better than just a good life. We would actually see transformation in our city. Would you stand with me? I don't know where you're walking in from today, the life that you lived this week, this month, this year, but I do know that Jesus does, 
And I do know that Jesus doesn't just say, I'll accept you, I'll put up with you. But he has a seat at the table for you. A place of honor, a place of love. And it's about that transaction from saying, Jesus, you're a rabbi, you're a a teacher, a moral person that I should learn from, to Jesus, your Lord. And when we do that, when we acknowledge Jesus, you are God, a God who came and died for me and was resurrected on the third day, then now I have the ability, I, I have the choice, I have the option to put my trust in you and have eternal life that starts now, not when I die, now. I can have uh, life now and life to the full. Everything changes if you would, just, just close your eyes and, and, and bow your heads. There's nothing magical about this. It's not that God hears your prayers more. It just gives you an opportunity to do a self-inventory. And just ask for a moment, God's identifying you. Lord, where's the Judas in me? And just be honest with yourself. God knows. He's not guessing. He's not confused. Help him point that out, or or let him point that out, rather. And as you do, I want you to take a moment and picture Jesus washing your feet. The Savior of the world, who not only abstained from sin, but lived a life in perfect obedience to God, about to die an unjust death, washing your feet. Lord, we love you, but it is nothing in comparison to how much you love us. God, we could spend every minute of every day for the rest of our lives trying to to repay you, to, to give you enough glory to say thank you, but we wouldn't even come close. So God, as we freshly let go of the wrong beliefs that we've had, and we pick up your truth, Lord, thank you. God, thank you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God, we don't look at Judas and find ourselves in there to feel bad about ourselves. God, to reveal in us what's broken and let you fix it. Jesus, help us, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.